I'm reading from 2 Thessalonians 1 and verses 1 through 8. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you for this, your word, and as I teach it, I pray that you would guide my lips, enable each one of us, Father, to be instructed by your Holy Spirit. Uh, bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I haven't read Reader's Digest for over 30 years, but uh, when I was reading it back then, I, I clipped out a number of stories, and one of the stories I clipped out was about Lieutenant uh, General uh, Bruce Clark. He was the deputy commander of the army in uh, Korea. He was lecturing a number of Korean army officials and in the middle of his lecture, he told one of his favorite jokes and um, he was a little bit surprised that the interpreter seemed like he was only using about a dozen words, but everybody in the audience laughed uproariously. So he went on with his thing, but he asked the interpreter afterwards, how are you able to tell that joke in so few words? And the interpreter said, well, sir, I didn't think everyone would get the point. So I just said, the general has just told a joke. Everyone will please laugh. <laughs> uh, these Koreans were very polite. And I think for the most part, uh, Christians still tend to be a polite bunch, especially in the Midwest here. Uh, we laugh over corny jokes that really aren't that funny. Um, we act interested even when we're bored out of our skull. Uh, we teach our children, you know, to say thank you even when our children don't feel like uh, giving thanks. And that's not necessarily hypocritical. I think it is teaching people to do the right thing, to be in obedience to the Lord, not in obedience to their feelings, right? It's honor, it's respect. And there is a certain sense in which obligation for thanksgiving is appropriate. And that's actually going to be the first point in the sermon, uh, that we do have an obligation. But I want to dig a little bit deeper uh, this morning and look at how do we get the heart of thanksgiving? Uh, how do we get to the place where we really feel thankful, where we have Paul's joy in his thanksgiving? How do we get beyond mere politeness to the place where we are absolutely overwhelmed with all that God has done for us? Uh, it has often been pointed out that thinking always precedes thanking. You can't really feel thankful until you have understood the significance of what has been done for you. And the more unworthy you sense yourself to be, the more significant the gift appears. And the more you love the person who has given the gift, the more that you uh, appreciate that. Uh, if uh, we are not aware of how much we 
sin, we're not going to be as thankful to the Lord uh, as we would otherwise have been. In Luke 7, verse 44, Christ explained why a prostitute who had just been converted loved him more than the Pharisee, who was apparently also converted, and he used this uh, sentence to explain it. To whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And this morning, I want to encourage you to do more than just say the words thank you more frequently, though we obviously need to do that. But uh, I want to help us to grow in a genuine sense of thankfulness to the Lord. And sometimes we have to start with saying thank you, even though we don't feel like it. But my prayer is we would develop a profound sense of thankfulness. First thing that Paul says in this passage is we are bound to thank God. We are bound. Uh, that word bound is the Greek word aphalo, uh, which means to have a debt in the, in the realm of finances. It means to have a, an obligation when it's used in the realm of social relationships, and it means constraint uh, when it comes to the physical world, some kind of constraint. It doesn't matter how you translate it, though. It shows that thankfulness is obligatory. It is a debt that we owe. It is not an option. And why would that be? Well, from the time that we have come into this world, we receive and receive and receive over and over again. Children, I want you to think of all of the diapers that your parents had to change from the time that you were a baby and the bottles that they had to feed you with and the di you know, all of the puke that they had to clean up. And uh, think through all of the baths and the haircuts and the trips to the zoo. God has made us so that we would need to be receiving on the receiving end of so much from our parents for years and years. And this is why Scripture says that we owe our parents a debt of gratitude and support and encouragement and honor in their old age. This is not a popular thing in America, but we owe our parents a debt. And when you think of all that they have done for you, you can see that. But it isn't just the things that our parents have done. We owe a debt of gratitude to generations past. You know, we could not enjoy the light from a light bulb without the investments of generations past and building on those investments a generation before that. We could not enjoy steel or automobiles or many other things without compounded growth in the economic realm over uh, many, many lifetimes. And so, uh, God has set up a compounded passing along of blessings that makes it so that we really do owe our ancestors. And if you read about the, 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 the thankfulness people had for their ancestors in the Bible, you begin to appreciate why. Because there is so much that we've inherited from them. But just think about this. Even if you didn't have computers and fancy clothes and cars and other blessings, you still would have plenty to be thankful for. Let's just imagine that some bad guys captured you and they dropped you buck naked into a jungle island just to fend for yourself. Even though you had no clothes, you had nothing else to depend upon, you could still depend upon the education and the past experiences that you've had. And at least some of you might survive for a while on that island, right? <laughs> um, so anyway, the more you think about it, we're constantly surrounded with blessings that we have not been thankful enough for. I remember very vividly a missionary 
<clears throat> a visiting missionary when I was at Prairie Bible Institute. <laughs> Didn't even think I was going to get emotional over this, but he was sitting at the table, and the water in Prairie was not that great. It had too many minerals in it. But he was praying with deep emotion, thanking God for the beautiful, clean water that I had been complaining about probably not too much earlier. And he had had to drink foul-tasting water for so many years that when he came here, he just was so grateful to God for clean water. <clears throat> Do you give thanks to God for clean water, for salt and pepper and other spices that we enjoy? Don't look at what you don't have. We really do have a debt, an obligation, a necessity for thanksgiving. Okay, the second thing that Paul says in this passage is we are bound to thank God. Yes, we do owe a debt of gratitude to other people, and Paul later on in this book, not in these verses, but later on, he talks about uh, how thankful he is to people, okay? But ultimately, the apostle said that every good gift... And every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation of uh, shadow of changing, right? It comes from above. If we take seriously the meaning of debt, though, the ophelo, we owe a debt to someone. Humans, we owe a debt uh, also to God. Uh, here is the usage of that word in Romans 13. Same word is used when it says, give everyone what you owe him. Same word, ophelo. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. So Paul is saying that we owe God a huge debt of thanks, and when we hold, withhold thanks from God, we rob him of what he is due. We're stealing honor and glory from God just as much as if we failed to pay a $10,000 debt that we owed uh, to some human, you know, that's uh, lent it to us. And let me try to illustrate this. Highlight Media tried to raise funds for a documentary on Edward Spencer a few years ago, and I've been looking for that to come out. I, I think uh, they didn't get enough money. It never did come out, but the script was really good. Um, <clears throat> it's about a story about a steamboat, the Lady Elgin, that sank in, sank in 1860, and the picture is in your outline. And it's a true story. The uh, ship floundered uh, off the coast, the shoreline of Lake Michigan, just above Evanston, Illinois, and a crowd was gathered on the beach just feeling helpless. Uh, what do we do? They could see people were uh, calling for help, drowning, and uh, there was a guy by the name of Edward Spencer. He was a student at uh, Garrett Biblical Institute. Uh, he saw a woman clinging to some um, wood or something out on uh, the waves, and he threw off his jacket, jumped into the lake, went through, uh, the, the high waves that were there safely brought her back to shore. Sixteen more times he went back and forth bringing people and he finally collapsed on the ground uh, in an exhaustion of delirium. It actually very negatively affected his health uh, for the rest of his life. Uh, it didn't shorten his life. He lived to 81 in California. But the notice in the paper at his death said that not one of those rescued people ever bothered to thank him. Not one. Now, they maybe thought he was a paid rescuer, so didn't need to give thanks, but even that would be utterly inexcusable. Now, you multiply that story of one unthanked act 
a million times over and you get a little bit of a sense of what God thinks and what God must feel when we fail to be thankful to him for the things that he has brought into our lives. He not only gave his son to die for us, but on top of that, he freely gives us all things. And yet, how many times do we just take God's blessings for granted? This is one of the reasons that Psalm 107 over and over and over again says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. That's telling us not only how the psalmist feels about this, but what God feels about thanklessness. But certainly, the psalmist groaned over our unthankfulness. If you were in a desert and you were crying out, Lord, I need water, I'm going to die, and the Lord provided it for you, you would be thankful. But are you thankful right now for the water that you drink? We owe him for so many uh, different things. Forgiveness of sins, justification, sanctification, food, clothing, rain, sunshine, entertainment. There's a hundred other perks. Now, I'm actually preaching this sermon because over the many years of ministry, uh, I have run across people, believe it or not, who have told me and insisted upon it that they have nothing to be thankful for. I'm not kidding. They thought they had absolutely nothing to be thankful for. All they could see was the darkness of what they didn't have. Now, I'm preaching this in part because I was convicted this past week in a devotional thing that I don't thank the Lord enough. Uh, it came up in my devotions, and I'm also preaching this because Gary told me to. <laughs> but he said, it'd be nice to have a sermon, you know, on, on Thanksgiving Day, so uh, I, I am doing that. But since every breath is a gift from God, we owe him thanks for life and for the degree of health that we are enjoying. So I would encourage you, when you celebrate Thanksgiving this coming Thursday, yes, be thankful to each other and express thanks for previous generations, but especially make it a God-centered event that gives thanks to God. Now, Paul goes on to say, we are bound to thank God always. Oh, wow. This is where Paul goes from preaching to meddling. Uh, he's stepping on toes. Uh, we not only, not only have a debt of thanks, a debt of thanks that we owe to God, but third, this debt of thanks never ends and must be expressed in every circumstance, always. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul says, in everything give thanks. No matter what the circumstances are that you find yourselves in, there is something thankworthy that you can offer up to God. And I'm going to illustrate with a story I've told you before, but I think it bears uh, repeating. Uh, Matthew Henry was riding his horse on one of the roads in, in England, and um, some um, uh, robbers stepped out into the, the road. He didn't have weapons. They did. Uh, they just rifled through everything that he had and uh, took everything of value, including his purse. And when he got back home, he wrote in his diary this, let me be thankful first, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it wasn't very much. <laughs> and fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. He knew apart from sovereign grace, he could have been one of those robbers. I mean, what makes us differ? It's God's grace that makes us differ, right? Now, he wasn't telling a joke at all. I'm sure he probably chuckled when he wrote that. 
He, but he wasn't taking, uh, uh, making a joke. He was being very serious. When I read that quote, I wanted to verify that it's true, so I went into his diary trying to find this quote. As I'm flipping through page after page after page, I am absolutely dumbstruck with the number of times that he thanks God for miserable things, like his kidney stones. How many here have had kidney stones? I think Dave has. Ah, those are painful, right? Incredibly painful. And yet he thanks God for what he has learned through these kidney stones and the sympathy that it's given him to other people. Uh, it, it's just uh, really an amazing thing when, when I was reading through that. So what, what's going on here? This is taking the perspective that things could have been worse, uh, seeking a silver lining around every dark cloud. And when our hearts are prone to grumble, it's good therapy to meditate upon the blessings that come with the disaster and to be thankful that things were not worse. But Paul takes things one step further, not in this verse, but he does so later on in this chapter and in this book. And he later on indicates that he's thankful for the privilege of suffering for the sake of Christ. How on earth can you be thankful for suffering? But he was. And I want to delve into this a little bit. How can you be thankful for suffering? Well, I would say, just as a hint, first of all, uh, he saw his sufferings as infinitely better than what he would have experienced in hell. So much better. This is a mercy. But in a moment, we're going to see there is a lot more to it than that. He's thankful for the affliction of verse 6. In fact, he speaks of the church having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2, he is able to rejoice when persecuted. But I find the way that he words this in Ephesians 5 uh, to be the most remarkable. I will never forget sitting beside my dad in a pew, uh, one of the rare times that he wasn't preaching, and I was able to sit beside my dad. It was a, a guest preacher. And I looked over at his Bible. He had pulled out his pen, and he circled the word for. <clears throat> and um, he circled the word for in the verse I'm about to read. Ephesians 5, verse 20. Paul says, giving thanks always for all things. Not just in all things, but for all things. There was a lot of things that came to my mind that I was thinking at the time. I can't thank God for that. I just can't. But I could not get that off of my mind. It stuck like glue in my mind. <clears throat> and so what is going on here is not just thanking God for the silver lining around the clouds, but thanking God for the dark clouds themselves. And uh, this was true of Matthew Henry. It's been true of so many others. The disciples thank God that they were counted worthy to suffer persecution. Do you do that? <laughs> Romans 8 says that all things work together for the good of those who love him. Now, that doesn't mean the things are good in themselves. They're not. Many of the things that happen to us are extremely evil. They're not good. But he says he works all things together for the good 
of those who love that. And if you doubt that because you have been abused, just like I doubted that because of the uh, horrible abuse that I had gone through and that my sisters had gone through in boarding school, then I would really encourage you to read the book by Kay Arthur, Lord, Heal My Hurts. It's written for women, but that book helped me so much. And if you follow the plan that's in that book, it will release you from those who have abused you. They're no longer going to be able to control you in, inwardly. You'll be released from bitterness. It'll give you a totally new and different perspective on the awful things that happen, and without in any way diminishing the horribleness of what happened to you. Um, you know, that these people deserve criminal punishment. They should be punished. In fact, you can simultaneously thank God for allowing you to go through that experience because now it's made you more tender and more of a vehicle of his grace to work in the lives of other people. So you can not only thank God for allowing you to go through that, but you can at the same time be praying God's imprecations, praying God's judgments down upon uh, those, um, those evil people. And that's exactly what's going on in the context. Let me read verses 3 through 8 again, where God, uh, Paul rejoices in God's fiery vengeance on these horrible people, even though he thanks God for all things. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God, pay, repay with tribulation those who trouble you. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power <clears throat> when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The point is we do not need to allow those criminals to control us emotionally forever. We can turn them over to the Lord for judgment, but it's really not until we begin to thank God for those things that we really begin to enter into the supernatural character of the kind of thanksgiving that he is giving here. It is, goes beyond what humans can do. This is something the Holy Spirit enables us to do. It takes faith to enter into this. And it's as we take the word for in Ephesians 5.20 seriously, as we take the word always in uh, 2 Thessalonians 1 seriously, that we begin to realize we really do owe God an enormous debt. We deserve hell, and God in his mercies has not given us hell. So my question to you is this. Have you thanked God for allowing you to go through the miserable circumstances that you have gone through in life? 
In a moment, we'll see that when we take that step of faith, which I will totally admit is like eating gravel initially. It, it, it does not come easy. But when you do that, it will bring amazing healing and joy. Why? It's because God loves to exalt and give grace to the humble who recognize they deserve so much worse. He loves to do that. It's because we are living by faith and not by sight. Well, Paul gives a fourth dimension to this thanksgiving. Not only is the thanks a kind of debt, but it is fitting that we pay the debt. He says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting. We aren't paying a debt because our arm is being twisted and we're being forced to, to pay this debt. No, when we look around us, we meditate on all of the things that God has done for us, we want to. We think it's fitting. We feel like we have every reason to give thanks, even when we are sick. We see reasons to give thanks. It is fitting. It's worthy. It's deserving. Other translations have it's appropriate or rightly so. One translation, we have good reason for it. Now, of course, this implies the utter unfittingness of being unthankful. How unfitting is lack of thankfulness? Well, I'm going to read a short section from 2 Chronicles 32. It's a passage that describes the, the very godly king, King Hezekiah, and if this could happen to King Hezekiah, it can happen to any one of us. Second Chronicles 32, verses 24 through 26. But those, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near to death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Now, 2 Kings, which records exactly the same event, uh, simply says he forgot. We all forget things, right? Just says he, he forgot to, to give glory to the Lord on this. God had miraculously done a, a healing in him. He was seriously ill, had miraculously done a healing, and he failed to thank the Lord. But Second Chronicles words it this way. Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, wrath was looming over him and over Judah. Uh, the NIV has it. He did not respond to the kindness shown to him. Another translates it. Did not then discharge his debt of gratitude. So lack of of thankfulness is evidence of pride in God's eyes. And James says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. The state of your heart is reflected by the state of your thanksgiving. How much indebtedness do you feel to God? Can you say with Paul, I am bound to give thanks always as it is fitting? Uh, if you flip two books forward to 2 Timothy chapter 3, This chapter begins by saying, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And we're going to keep reading what those perilous times are. Now, we might immediately in our mind's eye think, what are perilous times? You know, what makes them bad? Is it weapons? Is it murder? Uh, what, what is it? You might expect him to give the long listing of headlines from the newspaper, war in Ukraine, you know, inflation, all of the things that we think are disasters uh, going around us, but he doesn't. He points to heart issues that any believer could be plagued with. This is the root of the issue. 2 Timothy 3, we're going to read verses 2 through 5. 
For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. And I want you to notice the word unthankful in that list. God is describing a time that is as perilous as you could possibly give, and the only things that he lists are heart issues, and unthankfulness is one of them. It says, proud, self-centered, unthankful. A truly thankful heart is a heart no longer wrapped up in self. Well, the next thing that you will notice in our verse is that the reason Paul was thankful was not just because of what God has done in his own life, it was what God has done in the lives of other people. And I think this fifth point is the neatest of all of these points because it shows an approach to life that can free us of bitterness, resentment, isolation, dissatisfaction, envy, etc., if we are thankful. Thanksgiving is the antidote to many of the problems that plague interhuman relations. Thanksgiving is the opposite of the perilous times that 2 Timothy 3 talks about. And I want you to notice what he says in 2 Thessalonians 1.3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure." Paul was thankful for each one in that congregation. He was thankful for what God's grace had wrought. In 1 Thessalonians 1-2, he says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Notice the word, for you all. Now, the reason I'm highlighting this is because the Thessalonians were a pain in the butt, a pain in the neck, I should have said, excuse me. They were really bad. Uh, It was a troubled church that had hurt Paul in many, many different ways. On several counts, they lacked submission. They didn't pay him for his labors when he worked hard among them. 1 Thessalonians 2 says he had to be patient with them. He had to warn them against immorality. In 1 Thessalonians 4, some of them were not receiving his teaching very well. He had to rebuke them. They're not buying into his doctrine. They're buying into the doctrine of false teachers. Um, He then warns them about being lazy. He says, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. He was in effect saying, you guys are constantly disobeying lawful admonitions that I'm bringing into your lives. What's going on with you? Okay, It it could have been very, very frustrating, and it would have been very easy for Paul to be resentful and negative toward them. He warned them about other disorderly conduct, and yet six times Paul says that he thanks God upon every remembrance of them. That's astonishing. Let me read each occurrence to you. 1 Thessalonians 1-2, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. 1 Thessalonians 2-13, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 3-9, For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
2 Thessalonians 1.3, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, etc. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Did you get the repetition? Every time Paul thinks about them, he says, okay, thank you, Lord, for what you have done. And I think this was Paul's recipe for not getting bitter with this congregation. Okay? When you have relatives and friends who have hurt your feeling, ignored your advice, generally been a pain in the neck, it's very easy to distance yourself from them and to begin to get bitter. And every time you start to feel those negative feelings come up, deal with it like Paul did. Thank God for them. When you allow yourself to hold on to bitterness, resentment, isolation, dissatisfaction, envy, constant frustration with people, you, they've really won the conflict. Why do I say they've won? Even when they're not around, they're controlling your heart. You can't get away from them. They, they, they control you, right? They've won. And the reason they've won is they're keeping you from having the joy and the freedom of the Holy Spirit. Every time you think about that person or that instance, uh, uh, incident, it's like Satan is taking a pin and he's popping the bubble of pleasure that you've been experiencing and now you're miserable again. And you lie awake at night brooding and thinking about, oh man, I wish I had said such and such. That really would have put them in their place. You know? And you're, you're thinking through all of these things, just brooding, brooding, brooding. It does not help. A thankless person is a person in bondage. Let me repeat that. A thankless person is a person in bondage. Paul told Timothy that the unthankful are living in peril. Hezekiah is an example of a believer who was living under God's displeasure. That's a kind of peril. When we have inward stress and bitterness, that's another kind of peril that we are living under. So make it your goal to start thanking God for those people every time a bitter thought about them comes up. Say something along these lines. Lord, I'm feeling the negativity coming up again, and I reject it. In the name of Jesus, I reject it. By faith, I thank you for these people who test me. Thank you for their salvation and their gifts and their ability to sanctify me even now. Thank you for testing the supernatural nature of my love for them. Thank you that you are forcing me to grow. Spend several minutes in thanksgiving and you are going to start to feel the joy of the Lord completely washing away the bitterness. I've experienced this over and over and over again. And by the way, I have preached on Ephesians 5.20 many times in the last 30 years. Almost every time I get people pushing back and saying, I just can't believe you would say that it is okay for me to thank God that I had abuse when I was younger. And I just say, you know, this is God's sovereign. He is sovereign, and God is preparing you probably to be able to minister in a capacity that other people simply cannot fathom. They will not be able to have that success that you're going to have, but you've got to get past this hump be, to be able to minister as you should. So take Ephesians 5 verse 20 at face value. It's a, it's a, it's a faith issue. I've experienced this over and over again. I'm never going to tire of telling people, thank God for all things. You, you'll never be the same once you make this a habit. Now, there's one last point that I want to highlight very, very briefly. Paul says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because 
your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Now, we've already seen that the phrase, it is fitting, shows that there's reasons, but the, the because really highlights that, and then he lists the reasons. Now, I'm not going to preach on this point. This is going to be where your homework comes in. He lists out his own reasons why he is thankful. He, he does this thanksgiving so that he doesn't get negative attitudes about the Thessalonians. But what I want you to do is make out your own list of thank yous and reasons why it is fitting for you to uh, give thanks to God. And I've suggested in your outlines to write out a hundred things that you are thankful to God for. And I would encourage you, make at least 50 of those things be things you're thankful about people that really are a pain in the neck. Make at least 50. You'll be surprised as you start making that list, you're going to realize, wow, there's a whole lot more good about that person than I even realized because bitterness clouds our minds. We can't see the good that's out there. So I would encourage you to do this as, as homework. Now, in conclusion, let me read you a verse from Psalm 50. <laughs> I'm going to read it from the NIV. God says, He who sacrifices thank offerings honors me, and he prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of God. And I, I just love this verse. He says, first of all, offering thanks when you don't feel like it is a sacrifice. What he, what he means by that? It's hard. It, it, it takes effort to do this. Sometimes it's so hard to thank God about that jerk that has troubled you. It feels like you're just tearing your guts out when you actually do this. It's a sacrifice, but make it. Put yourself on the altar. Crucify your fleshly desire. Thanksgiving is sometimes simply a sacrifice, and who feels like giving a sacrifice? No one. You do it even though you don't feel like it. And then he goes on to say that this thank offering prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of God. Now, the word salvation is a deliverance, okay? It prepares the way for deliverance from the things that plague us. Now, it may be that this is the one piece in the puzzle that is missing. You have not gained victory over whatever it is that you need deliverance from, and the Lord is just waiting. Take me at my word. Start thanking me for these things that he has put you through, and once you do that, I'm going to show you the, the deliverance. I'm going to show you the, the salvation. It may be deliverance, victory over some besetting sin. But the psalmist is clear that the hard sacrifice of thanksgiving for that person you're bitter over prepares the way to salvation from whatever it is that grips you and controls you. And for my final two pieces of homework that I've listed in your outlines, I'd like you to think about very concrete the person that you have a hard time giving thanks for, just make a mental note of it, and then maybe write down, what are the things that I want deliverance from? And then claim in prayer this verse right here. And you could pray something along these lines. Lord, I need deliverance from such and such, and you have promised that when I start being thankful in all circumstances and for all circumstances, that I will prepare the way for my deliverance. Thank you. I ask you to deliver me from this. And by faith, I thank you for this promise. Be glorified in this whole situation. So I would just encourage you, don't argue with the pastor, argue with the Holy Spirit, and you're never going to be successful in arguing with the Holy Spirit, right? Um, let him deal with you on these two points. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word and the conviction that it brings. We want to be convicted on the areas that grieve your spirit and that are out of accord with your word. We want to grow in you. And so I just pray that you would take this word and help all of us to become a thankful people, overwhelmed with appreciation for all that you have done in us and for us and through us. To you be all the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.